Hello. Hello. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? I am doing well. Welcome to Life's Middle Moments. My name is Bree. I'm 25. I live in Texas and I'm the daughter half of the Mother Daughter Podcast. And hello, my name is Sheila. I am 50 years old. I live in Arkansas and I'm the mother half of this Mother Daughter Podcast. Today we wanted to tackle a very serious topic and one that has definitely affected uh, mom's life just with some people in her life that she was close to and loved and we wanted to cover addiction today. We recognize that there are many different types of addictions, drug addiction, alcohol addiction, food addiction, the list goes on, but we wanted to focus on alcohol addiction today. Yes, one of the things that we hope to share while we're talking through um, this topic tonight is just some of the circumstances that might lead to an addiction uh, such as alcohol, and as well as some of the challenges when someone is uh, trying to seek treatment. Yeah, before we get started, I wanted to share some of these statistics from the Addiction Center's website. The first one says about 20% of Americans who have depression or an anxiety disorder also have a substance use disorder. Wow. On, on average, 30 Americans die every day in an alcohol-related car accident, and six Americans die every day from alcohol poisoning. Mm -hmm. And the last one says almost 21 million Americans have at least one addiction, yet only 10% of them receive treatment. Yeah, and honestly, that doesn't surprise me just based on some of the experiences that I know that um, those that I've that I've loved have gone through and trying to to get help. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's to me that is shocking, it, but not at the same time. Like I'm like you, I'm really not surprised because I think it is a personal, like until that person is fully ready to commit to a change or so I've heard, I obviously don't have personal experience with this, but until they are ready, their loved ones can try and try, but they won't seek treatment. But we've also talked about the treatment facilities, just maybe not being as um, serving like as like full of service as we would expect them to be for such a difficult addiction. Mm hmm. Yeah. You know, one of the things we've talked about when when we have talked about this subject has been the fact that you really only have a limited amount of time when the person that is, that has the addiction is at a point where they're ready to seek help. And if you miss that window of opportunity, whether it be that in some facilities that are that are within uh, a short amount of distance that you're able to get to if there are for instance no beds available then they're not able to go or if the cost something that they're just not able to do and none of their family members are able to um, to step in and take care of and in a lot of the situations the person who is um, really um you know, going through the addiction and battling the addiction itself are in situations where they may or may not have insurance. So there's a lot of variables that can come into play that can really restrict someone from 
being able to get the help that they need. Um, another thing that we've talked about is the fact that in some situations when they do get into the facility itself, some of those facilities are so short term that someone who may have had an addiction for a decade or more would not have enough time to, to um, overcome an addiction like that within the short amount of time that they may be able to um, stay in the facility. So some of those are um, hours and some of those are weeks. And the ones that are, you know, moving into 30 days or more are um, maybe outside of what they can financially take care of. So again, I think you're, you're almost, um, fighting a losing battle to a degree yeah. when it comes to some of your facility options. That's really sad. That's a really heavy burden to bear as a family too. You want to see this person get help and you want nothing more for them, but it becomes such a financial burden on you that you have to start making decisions. What do you pay for this month? Your loved one's treatment that may or may not be long-term or, mm-hmm. you know, your own mortgage or, or something. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And if you're in a situation where that person's ready to get the help that they need and you take them, you know, you're going from place to place to place and you're trying as hard as you possibly can. You're making phone calls and you're reaching out to people and you cannot find them a place to go. And that is the hardest thing when it comes to um, seeing someone go through that and knowing that they're at a point, they're ready to get help. And, um, you know, from circumstances outside of anyone's control now, you're not able to do it. Um, And of course, that only hits on the fact of when the person is ready to seek help and realizes that they have a problem. Because, you know, on the other side of that are the challenges that you face when that person doesn't recognize that they have a problem. And that that's, um, that's another obstacle in itself. Yeah. That sounds really heartbreaking to think about it all like that. I was wondering, as you were talking about the treatment um, in recovery centers, do you think it would be more beneficial and long-term success if the, if the treatment was like an in-home visit? Like, I understand that getting, getting people out of the environment that's triggering them is essential But then once they Mm -hmm. leave the facility, they're back in their triggering environment, which is why I think so Mm -hmm. many relapse. Yeah, that is so true. You know, in so many cases that that I've been familiar with, the, the person with the addiction can leave the facility and, um, you know, have been, um, you know, detoxed for a certain amount of time. And you think they're on the path for, for a healthy recovery. And instead the, their first thought when they get back out into the real world is to um, go get a bottle. And, um, and before, you know, anyone can even realize what's happening. Sometimes it's almost too late because now they have relapsed and they're back to doing what they were doing. So I do, I do think that you're onto something there because I think, having something where there's some form of accountability or some process that they would do 
once they leave the facility or someone is immediately coming to their home to check on them. And, you know, because it, the hardest thing is in those situations, if, if all family members and close friends are all working or have their families and children and things that are, that are going on, that's, it's hard if you, and then there's, and then it creates this, um, heavy burden of guilt on the person who's addicted as well as the person who loves them and wants to see them through this because now you're you're faced with a situation where they don't want to burden you and have you come over even though they know they need you there and then you one don't want to be um, doubting their success in it. So you're trying not to be overbearing. And then the other hand, you're also, you have your day-to-day things that still have to go on and still have to happen. Uh, your job, your family, uh, getting your kids to and from places, um, just different things that can happen. And so then I think it just, um, it just creates all of these ripple effects of, um, them not wanting to burden you and, you not wanting to be overbearing to them. And, um, but again, you're just, you're, you're all, you know, hoping for the best outcome. Mm-hmm. So that that's definitely something I think would be beneficial if there's a, if there's a system put into place where um, it be, you know, someone of a, um, you know, a health member, healthcare member mm-hmm. that would um, immediately be assigned to right. someone um, and it be part of their uh, their you know daily um, schedule for the next 30 60 90 days mm-hmm. or however I think it needs to be on a case-by-case basis too because what what two weeks can do for one person may take a year for someone else right so that's that's definitely something to be considered too that's true I know they have Alcoholics Anonymous and they do, they can, um, I forget what they call them, but you can kind of have an accountability partner, somebody who's been in the program for longer or who has earned certain days of sobriety and they are your person who you call when you're feeling like that instead of calling Mm -hmm. your family members. But Mm -hmm. I think it still seems like it takes that the person suffering's initiative to attend the meetings and there's not someone there checking on them. And like you said, I can't imagine being a family member who wants to trust them and wants them to know that you do trust them and you know, they're trying to get better, but you also want to hold their hand and make sure. So then it would kind of assign somebody, a third party who's not related that can just checking, be checking in on them and making sure or removing mm-hmm. some of the triggers from the home or the environment that could help aid in their recovery. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And someone who is able to um, counsel them and talk through some of the things that may have uh, played a part in their, their road to addiction. And then some of the things that might be able to help them on their road to recovery and, um, and I think those are called sponsors, sponsors. if I'm, yes. if I'm, if I remember That's right. It. Um, yeah. And, and the other thing too, um, uh, I think, um, 
I think a good thing for those who do love someone with addiction would also be the support groups mm-hmm. that are that are available and and counseling for them as well because yeah. it's it's something that takes a toll on everyone around that person so um we tend to forget that um that it does affect so many people um but i think you know if we were able to have someone who you know stops by on a daily basis takes um you know takes all of their um their health stats you know see where their blood pressure's at see where um, just check everything mm-hmm. because I think that there's so much that, especially if this person, you know, that's, that's battling the addiction, if they are an adult and they've been on their own for years and, you know, they've, they've gone through things that you may or may not ever know about. And I think it, it gives them someone that they can, um, in confidentiality, talk to and talk through things that, that maybe um, have contributed to, to where they're at. And then um, also just someone that they can feel like um, they're able to um, talk to about their health conditions, other things that, you know, they may not want to put, you know, they already, you know, in the circumstances that I've seen, and that, you know, that, that I've witnessed, it's there, there's such a feeling of, of becoming such a burden. And I think that the sad part about, about that aspect is the fact that as they start to feel more and more as a burden, they tend to drink more and more because they're, they're trying to, they're just constantly trying to numb that feeling, um, of, of being, um, you know, being a burden on anyone else or uh, their own self-worth and everything. So there's so much that uh, from years and years and years of alcohol abuse that is affecting all the pieces of your body, all of your organs, um, all of your, you know, your blood sugar, your blood pressure, your liver, your kidneys. There's so much that can be affected along the way and as an adult you are not obligated to share your health condition with anyone so in a lot of those cases um, in order to not um, not make it seem as if the situation is extreme they'll they'll hide that from other people mm. and so I think again that if there's a person from healthcare worker who's coming by who can check all their vitals and see where they're at and monitor that with them and keep them on track to making sure that things don't develop and become worse with their organs or their blood sugar, blood pressure, and so on. And the sad thing is the people who can afford to receive special treatment, I'm sure that exists somewhere you know, that there are people who make home visits for recovering addicts and can check on them, but it's not accessible to the average person. And I know for sure my family would not be able to support someone financially who's trying to recover. And it's a scary thought because then it just, it's just a cycle until the end. 
mm-hmm. then like we've talked about if this is hereditary and then the the person who's battling this addiction they their children have an addictive personality to whatever their choice might be and then the cycle just starts over and we're mm-hmm. left with these problems but no access to proper treatment um, right and and also if you're if you're not getting any type of counseling or you're not sure exactly what's triggered their um, their coping mechanism to become alcohol, you you don't know what to look for yourself if it is something that's hereditary. And, um, you know, just in, in your day-to-day, and if you don't understand that theirs was triggered by um, an event that happened in their life, or was it um, was it more of an addiction to the taste or you know or the feeling like you if you don't know truly what it is that's causing that then you yourself you can drive yourself crazy trying to figure out if you're um, if you're watching for all the signs you know mm-hmm. and you may never hit on them you you may never know what they are you know and then that's not healthy either um, knowing it and knowing that it that it can be something that you um, could become faced with throughout your life or you could have a loved one who's dealing with it in their life then I think that it's good to have that awareness and to but it's also you also don't uh, want to be um, for it to become something that you're um, overwhelmingly worried about on a daily basis Mm -hmm. either that's that's not healthy either Um, so I think that they're um, I, I think, you know, the key is um, if you're the one going through the addiction is being able to identify and acknowledge that you are. And then if you're the person who is watching someone or loves someone who's going through it, then I think for you is to um, get as much information, uh, talk to as many people as you can, research and, you know, try to find all the answers that you can that will then help you determine what you need to do going forward in your own life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really great advice because I'm sitting here wondering, like you said, this could happen at any minute or whoever is in my life, this could be happening or this could happen in the future, even to myself. And I was just thinking like, I want to know what I should be looking out for or what maybe my next steps would be because I think any pivotal Mm -hmm. moment in life or a major tragedy could totally just alter any of our lives mentally, Mm -hmm. you know, habitually Mm -hmm. and something that is like, yeah, that's definitely something I've almost always said to myself as an adult is that exact thing. It could take one, one major Mm -hmm. tragedy that um, leads me down that road. Yeah, Yeah. for sure. Something that is that, you know, you partake in socially could become something that you hide and sneak Mm -hmm. around. Mm -hmm. So, and I, I, I think, I think you just hit on it right there too. I think it's, um, I think if it's something that, um, you know, of course it can play, it, it can play out in different manners, but I think 
um, to be able to look at it yourself. If, if you're questioning yourself as to what your, um, what, what your status is as far as, um, or, you know, are you addicted to alcohol? Um, because, you know, one of the things that I know we talked about, um, as we started to kind of walk through this subject was the fact that, um, you know, social drinking um, is not something that has to be of concern if it's not something that you you have to have the alcohol in order to get through a day or like you mentioned you're hiding the fact that you're drinking the alcohol to get through the day and um, you know I think if it's um, there's a lot of functioning alcoholics in in the United States that you know people you would never never recognize as someone who had an addiction, but it also means that in that same capacity, there are people out on the roadways that are driving intoxicated. They may think they're fine, but really to a degree, they're not, even if they've been doing this for years and, you know, it just leads, it can lead to so many more things. I mean, some of the statistics that you shared and um, I think, I think there's, um, you know, there's different, uh, different personality types that can, that can come into play when it comes to an addiction. Some people are very open about it and some people are very silent about it. And so it's really just um, understanding exactly if, um, you know, what, what is the limit of social drinking or having a glass of wine at night or having a beer on a hot day or what, you know, what is, what is the, um, what is the right amount, you know, to what, to what capacity. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's what uh, each individual person has to, has to understand for themselves. For themselves personally, what's, what Mm -hmm. your spouse may do is even different from what you deem appropriate for yourself. But this had me thinking about a TikTok that I saw recently, and I actually saw a couple similarly, and it was this girl who had been sober for X amount of time, and so she doesn't drink in social situations anymore, and when she goes out to lunch or whatever, everyone's like, are you not drinking? Why why aren't you having a drink? Oh, are you on a diet? Like, it becomes everybody else's Mm. problem, and her message was sobriety like your sobriety will matter more to everybody else than it does to you in social situations like you would think that Mm -hmm. as somebody who's trying to stay sober you're trying to really not drink in social situations but eventually you just don't even think about it because you just know you're only gonna have water or tea or whatever but it will concern everybody else and that made me really reflect because I have totally said that before like, especially, which I hate this one too. Oh my gosh, are you pregnant? Why aren't you drinking? Which is super invasive mm-hmm. <laughs> on all the, all levels. But why is it that we view people who don't drink in social situations as the weird one? When did that become normal? Right, right. And, you know, what? what's wrong with not partaking in alcohol just because you simply don't want exactly. to, there doesn't have to be that, you, you know, you have a fear of becoming addicted or you, um, for whatever, or you've had an addiction mm-hmm. and now you're sober 
And so I think, you know, I, I saw something recently on that too, where it was like, there's such a focus on alcohol when it comes to social mm-hmm. gatherings or um, dinners and different things like that. And I've even, um, I've even been, um, you know, at gatherings before, and I've even picked up on that where if someone just wants to have um, a soda, it's like, why? Mm-hmm. You don't, you know, you can get, you can get a drink, you know, the dr- drinks are here. Here, let me grab exactly. you one. Well, I, I don't want one. I just want a soda <laughs> or I just want a, a tea or, yeah. or whatever, you know, what is the pressure? Why do we put this pressure on each other? And, you know, to some degree, because, because one of the things that, you know, when, when we've talked about this before, and I know I keep saying when we've talked about <laughs> it before, but, um, but I, I'm, I'm also like, things are, are coming back to me from some of the things that I felt like were, were great points to make, because some people have, um, you know, some of the statistics show if you, you know, the age that you took your first drink could develop into uh, becoming an alcoholic later in your life. So some people may have taken their first drink under the age of 16 and they are young alcoholics and they are alcoholics throughout their life. You also have situations where someone may be, you know, 45 or 55 and have taken their first drink Mm -hmm. and before before they realize it they've become addicted to alcohol or they had a traumatic experience that happened or a, a major tragedy and now they're addicted to alcohol so it it hits all ages and it's one of those things where it just does make me think do we put that added pressure on people around us without even recognizing it when we when we are in those settings Mm -hmm. where why aren't we offering them a glass of tea or a water over that if it's a especially if we recognize they're going through something that's um that's hard for them to to deal with or something very difficult Mm -hmm. So that should not be our first go-to either. Yeah. Because are we then in that time frame, are we just inhibiting the situation? Well, that has me thinking now, whenever something bad happens with your group of friends or at your job or whatever, and whether jokingly or not, you're like, I just need a happy hour. Like, let's go sit on Mm -hmm. a patio. I just need a margarita or whatever, like an ice cold drink is just going to take the edge off of this terrible day. And I'm just like, but why? (laughs) Like, and I am guilty of that. Mm -hmm. So, but now I'm just really questioning, like, why is that the norm? But I don't want to be super judgmental from the other side of the spectrum either, because like you do you, as long as, as you know, your limit and you're being safe and not driving or whatever, but I don't know. It makes me think of this quote that I heard in a movie or or maybe a book. I don't remember, but the character said, um, my dad always told me never drink to feel better, only drink to feel even better. And since then, Mm -hmm. that has made me really think about the like, oh my gosh, this day was terrible. I just want Mm -hmm. one ice cold drink or whatever. Yeah, that's one of the things that that as an adult, I've always thought 
uh, and stopped myself or questioned myself because I never wanted alcohol to become a coping mm-hmm. mechanism for me in whatever situation was happening. And mm-hmm. whether it be, um, you know, something traumatic, the loss of a loved one or um, a bad day at work or, um, or even, or even, you know, a, whatever the situation, but I I never wanted it to be something definitely um, because, you know, some of the things that, that I've learned throughout time is how, you know, mental illness and depression can link up with um, becoming addicted to some form of substance, mm-hmm. whether it be alcohol or drugs or food or something else. But that's one of the things that has always been kind of uh, a forethought for me before I let myself get triggered mm-hmm. to just immediately think mm-hmm. I'm going to grab something to drink when I've, I'm processing a situation like that, whether I'm upset or sad or frustrated or you yeah. know whatever the situation just I've always tried to make sure that that's not my mm-hmm. go-to and only because I've um you know I've it's something you know throughout um a lot of my um late teen and adult years I've I've just seen things that have have really you know really stuck with me and led me in uh down the path of I'm going to find something else Mm -hmm. instead (laughs) that to comfort me or to get me through that but I do agree too you know that um I'm I'm all about um if if that's a you know if you're if you're drinking to feel even better or if it's like for a celebration or you know, a couple of friends are getting together or something like that. Um, you know, as you said to each their own and, and, and each of us are going to make those decisions. And, and as long as we're doing it within, um, you know, within the means that we know it's not going to turn into something of excess, Mm -hmm. then, then, you know, that's as adults, those are our choices. But if you ever find yourself, not being able to stop or immediately feeling that extreme urge that you need that to feel better from what's happening in Mm -hmm. your life. That's when you should be able to really understand that there's a problem and it needs to be, it needs to be addressed and, and you need to seek help. And I think We've, we've also talked about the fact that there can be such a stigma around it. And it is still to this day um, in the year 2021, it is still something that people don't talk enough about. And it is still something that people have, um, there is an embarrassment around it. There is a sense of failure around it. And there is a, um, there's just this strong stigma that keeps so many of us from talking outwardly about it. And I think that that's one of the other things that causes people to not be able to get help. Mm, That's true. And on the other side of that, I'd like to present the idea that this has also become sort of 
uh, a norm like there's two ends of that you're struggling silently because you're afraid of the stigma but also I think so many much of the younger generation I have not seen anybody my age or older joking about this but with any mental health disorder or even addictions they are it's like a joking thing especially with like the like vaping addictions and they just joke about it like well you know I I don't don't even know what they're called um pods I think or whatever like oh yeah I just drank or I took five shots before it's fine it's fine I might be an alcoholic it's fine and they'll kind of joke about it not realizing I think like maybe it's kind of the like self degradation joking and not Mm -hmm. I don't think they realize that that might be a problem too and I think some of Mm -hmm. that the way that that is presented is keeping more people who really are struggling with it who obviously aren't going to joke about it like publicly then they're even more so hiding because now it's kind of this laughable I don't know Mm -hmm. situation and I get a lot of my information from TikTok because I'm after you were talking about using alcohol to, you know, when people use alcohol to not think about things or process their day, I started thinking maybe I do that with my phone. I, if I've had a long day, I just want to decompress and I don't want to think about anything. So I get on TikTok, which is where I see all of these. So I may be a little bit addicted to TikTok, truthfully, (laughs) but I do see Mm -hmm. so many just kids out there joking about their alcohol addiction or their like vape or um, jewel addiction and stuff like that. And so I'm worried that their presentation of it is going to kind of halt the progress for people who really are trying to get better. Yeah. And I think, you know, in reflecting back to the time frame when I was in my twenties and it makes me wonder, like, um, is this something that you see in your peer group, but do you kind of feel like, you you won't drink alcohol forever like do you do you feel like there's a time limit on it you're just trying to get in as much as you can now because you're gonna start to have kids and family and life and you know because I can just remember back to you know when I when I was young and thinking oh you know it's I I won't drink this much forever Mm -hmm. you know but but the saddest part I think is there are so many people who might say that and think that but when, when the time comes, they just can't overcome mm-hmm. it. They can't give it up, you know. But I just wonder, like, in your peer group, are you seeing, do, do you kind of feel that? Yeah, that I definitely it, do. Now that you mention it, I have thought before, well, we don't have kids yet. We're not going to be able to do this. So let's take advantage. And it's not so much a frequency thing as it is, like, it seems like every weekend that I'm able to get together with my friends feels like it's going to be the last weekend because we're all going to have kids soon and we're going to miss these days. So, you know, now that you put it into perspective, Mm -hmm. I really do feel like that. We always go all out with like the events have to be like, let's do a whole cookout even and like grill everything, bring all the different things we want to try, all the drinks, whatever. And I'm like, mm-hmm. wow, yeah, that is a little bit weird. <laughs> yeah, but but I think it's pretty normal, though. Yeah. I mean, just from my recollection and then, you know, just just seeing 
you know, people today. And, and then on, on the um, other end of the spectrum of that, I can remember as, as you and your brother were getting older and, you know, starting to move out of the house and, and it, for me, um, it, it was, I didn't, I could sit down and have a, have a glass of wine at night because I knew no one was going to call me to come pick them up somewhere. And I was in for the night and it just, um, it just didn't seem, it just seemed so natural, I guess, at that point. And then, um, you know, I'd get together with some of my girlfriends and, and we'd go out and, you know, to happy hour or, or social evening or something like that. And it just, you know, it, it just seemed like it was just the natural thing to do. Um, and I think, you know, when I think back, there was this big gap of time for me where, um, as you guys were, you know, when you guys were young and, and your activities were going on, I was taking you back and forth and, and I, I don't remember drinking really much at all. Um, it was just, it was, it was just such an afterthought that uh, I never had time to think about it, <laughs> you know, and it, it was, it was definitely during that time frame special occasions, mm-hmm. you know, so um, I think it's interesting when you look at age groups and, and what's happening in people's lives, and you can almost connect it to some of those things, mm-hmm. you know, it's true. It's interesting. And, and I think, you know, we, we mentioned this, but addiction to anything is, you know, there, there's something deeper that goes with it. And I think that that's the key is finding out what it is that's causing you to, um, to, to just to rely on it. Mm -hmm. And what is it that, that that's your, um, that, that that's your way to function. Yeah. And it's like, you know, is, is the solution finding a substitute for that behavior mm-hmm. or is it like uncovering some deeper issue within that you haven't dealt with or, and then it's like, once you deal with that emotionally and mentally, do you not need that coping mechanism anymore? I'm so curious and I'm sure it's different for everyone. But, you know, yeah. And once you uncover and you get down through the layers of what led you to where you're at, then I'm sure throughout that process is when you, you can, with the help of, of healthcare professionals, you can determine what's another vice mm-hmm. for you. What, what's another option that's going to be a healthier option. And, uh, you know, and some people like I've, I've seen this where, uh, some people have overcome things and now they're running marathons, you know, that's their, that, that's what they do. Um, when they're feeling that, um, you know, when they're having that bad day at work or they are, um, grieving over the loss of a loved one, whatever the situation is like that, you know, the first thing they think of is going for a run mm-hmm. or, um, you know, uh, some sort of an activity. And so everybody, or some people, it may be painting or journaling 
or, you know, you just have to find what's that other thing that's healthier for you to turn mm-hmm. to in, instead of the alcohol. And, um, you know, and also I just wanted to make sure that, um, that I also mentioned that alcoholism, you know, as I said earlier, it, it affects not only the person who's going through it, but it affects the people that love that person as well. And in situations where someone who's battling alcoholism, if they don't um, survive the, the battle and, and they leave this world and there's those that love them that are left behind, I think that there's a lot that people can do to better understand and be able to support and reach out to those who are recovering from the loss of someone who wasn't able to recover. And I think that that's something that is so important because if we lose someone to, um, to an addiction like that, and we don't feel like that there's a support system that someone that we can reach out to or a group of people we can reach out to, if we feel like we're going through that alone, then I feel like we're going to be that much more tempted to fall in the same pattern. Um, And maybe not along the same addiction itself, but maybe something Mm -hmm. else. And I think that that's something that we all need to be aware of. And I think one thing, um, you know, from my perspective that always helped was if people just reached out and allowed me to talk about it or they shared their story with me and I knew that other people had gone through something similar and, and that helped me that there was someone that could relate to what I had been through. And, um, and I've always tried to do that for other people as well. And um, no matter what the, the relationship is that you have with someone who is either currently battling alcoholism or someone who wasn't a survivor of alcoholism, I think no matter, no matter what the relationship, you're always going to feel uh, that, that heavy sense of, of loss. Um, because even if they're still here battling it, if you feel like you're not making an impact that is helping them get to a safer, better, more healthy place, then you you still feel that loss, even if they're still here. Mm-hmm. So, um, so that's the other thing too, is just, you know, recognize that when, when people are going through that. And I think a lot of us would be surprised at how many people are, um, are living with this now that we're not even aware of and they're they're uh they're either the functioning alcoholic or they're the one who loves the functioning alcoholic and both sides are equally equally have their different challenges Mm -hmm. yep and it and it can be um you know, I know even for those who who are in recovery statuses, it's it's a it's it's a lifelong challenge um, when you're when you ever hit uh, an addiction like that, and um, 
you know, something that you are, you are challenged on a daily basis for the rest of your life. Yeah. Well, I'm really glad that you wanted to talk about this and that you were able to share so much. I feel like I've learned so much in the aspect of just things that I didn't know or, or perspectives I hadn't thought of, but also emotionally, I feel like I've learned a lot from what you shared. So thank you for sharing today. You are so welcome. And hopefully there's someone out there that, that happens to listen and, and um, can find either a sense of support just from knowing that others have gone through that um, as well as maybe there's some, some things that um, they'll be able to reach out to those people or if it's something they're personally going through, they'll be able to seek help. And um, I know that eventually we'll be able to, um, you know, do some more uh, some more episodes on this and dig a little deeper and actually, um, you know, put into um, a story format uh, exactly, you know, some of the situations that people go through when they are dealing with an addiction like that, um, all of the ups and downs. So I look forward to us being able to to share some more insight at a later date and and be able to give some, some really specific details that would hopefully be, you know, helpful to someone um, who might be going through that as well. Absolutely. Before we end it, um, I wanted to leave the number that's on the Addiction Center's website. Um, And it says, don't go through the process of recovery alone. There are people who can help you with the struggle you're facing. Get in touch with one today. The number they've listed is 888-694-0299. They also have a spot on the website where you can enter your phone number and request a call. So then a center will call you and they have, um, that's the number for treatment centers and for um, just help, whether you are the person who's struggling or you are the loved one of someone who's struggling. And if there is a more, successful website or any other resources that we should know and share, please comment them on our Instagram page. um, If you have any more knowledge that we can share with anybody else who might be listening. And if you have a story that you are comfortable sharing with us or any type of personal experience or anecdote, we'd love to hear that on our Instagram life's middle moments pod, um, either in a direct message or as a comment under the post for this week's episode. So I think that's all we have for tonight. Ma, do you have anything else you want to share? Um, I really don't. I think it's a, it's a subject that I think more people need to be talking about. And I'm, I'm glad to have been able to share some of my perspective and experience in going through some of that. And I, I think uh, I appreciate you sharing all of the uh, statistics and uh, the help information and in uh, phone number and additional information and I do look forward to hearing from from others and um, when if they feel comfortable sharing their stories I think that that would be great for um, for us to all be able to create some support for each yes, other definitely well until next time then I will let you go 
Okay. That sounds good. All right. Well, I will talk to you later. Tell dad I said hello. Okay. I sure will. And you tell Jonathan we said hello. All right. I will. We'll talk to you later. I love you. All right. Be careful. I love you too. Bye. Bye-bye.